You will fail. So what? Everybody does. But your gym, your watch, your yoga pants, they pretend you won't. So when you miss a day, eat the pancakes. Give up on a workout? You failed? Seriously, what the hell? We're body. We've been a part of that too, but not anymore. At body, we're rejecting perfection and embracing reality. Not in a pizza Monday kind of way, in a loving your whole life kind of way. In a, this workout is fun and it's okay if I take a week off kind of way. In an, I'm eating healthy and it's okay if I indulge kind of way. In a, I like myself no matter what kind of way. Yeah, you will fail. We all will. But we're not going to let that be the end. You see that? We're already making progress. So let's keep going. We are body. Start your free trial at body.com. That's B O D I dot com. Real moms are bravo. Real moms are bravo. Real moms are bravo. Real moms are bravo. We are so excited to be joined by housewives expert. Brian Moylan, you know him from his vulture recaps. He's hilarious. His ode to Luann statement necklaces is maybe one of my favorite literature pieces in the world. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. So you, I mean, have I feel like you've been a part of Housewives since the beginning, but when did you first kind of start entering this Housewives world, either as a fan or as, you know, your creative outlet? outlet in your profession? Um, I started watching at the very beginning um, with Orange County when it first started, because at the time it was uh, Project Runway and, you know, those things on Bravo. And I would kind of have it on, just, it was like my go-to channel, you know? And um, yeah, started watching OC because I was like, what is this thing? Um, and then uh, I started at Gawker.com REP in 2009. Um, so Housewives have been going for a few years by then. And Richard Lawson at the time was writing Real Housewives recaps. And then I would fill in for him occasionally when he was gone or didn't want to do it or whatever. And then he left, I think, in like 2011. And so that's when I started doing recaps on Gawker, the Housewives, and then they sort of traveled a few different places. Um, and then I started uh, writing the fur vulture in like 2013. So a long time ago. Your housewives journey is the same as ours. Um, it's so funny since we're in this little Bravo bubble when we hear people saying, I was, you know, we saw something the other day. Someone's like, I was 12 when Nini called someone a trash box. So I was like, uh, what? I was there. <laughs> I, was yeah, I, I was an adult human. Yes, I was an adult. <laughs> um, I could drink alcohol. It was legal. But yeah, Abby and I started with housewives. I used to watch Project Runway, Christian Siriano's first season. Like that got me like really, really hooked and then orange county was the gateway drug to housewives yeah yeah and um here we are all these years later um and you know at first i was like oh i don't want to be the housewives guy i do other stuff i do real journalism you know whatever and then finally i was like if the people want housewives then i will give the people all the housewives they could possibly have. okay so what j school did you go to 
I did not go to J school. I never have taken a journalism class in my life. Um, and so I, uh, when I got a, my degree in English from the George Washington university, oh. and then I was going to grad school for creative writing and I got a job at a newspaper and, um, as like an editorial assistant. And while I was studying creative writing, I decided I would rather journalism than, uh, creative right and now I do some of each I guess so no that's great I was asking because Abby and I are we're journalism majors so um that's what I was just curious got it yeah no so I just learned on the job from a bunch of patient lesbians at the gay newspaper where I worked so thank you patient lesbians for (laughs) I wish my career yeah I wish my career started with patient lesbians I'd probably be in a much better position right now than where I'm at because I started with egocentric, uh, straight men, but that's, a that's another <laughs> podcast episode. But so, it was it, when I was at the blade, like when I started, I, they would send me to like, um, you know, the Supreme court and like city council meetings. And I was doing all of that, like real entry level reporting, you know, like hardcore old school, like journalism stuff. And so I'm glad I learned how to do all of that, but now I do it in the service of uh, Real Housewives. So, <laughs> but thank you for your service because you, it oh, is amazing. Yeah. You have you've given us so much, and I think it's people might not also realize like how many different things you've done with Housewives. Most recently, ish is you were. It's kind of I think well known and okay to talk about, but you were the ghostwriter for Erica Jane's book, which yeah. is really crazy. Yeah, I was on the show, so it's okay to talk. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want you to be like you writer girl with a ghost writer. I feel like ghost writing now has like a bad connotation thanks to uh, Aviva. But yeah. So, I mean, what was that process like? I, how did she approach you? I'm so curious about this. Um, her agent, her literary agent reached out to me, I think on like my Facebook fan account or something like that. One of my like social media profiles and was like, Hey, I want to talk to you about something. And I was like, sure. Okay. And then she was like, uh, do you want to write Erica J's book? And I was like, uh, yeah, of course I would. Um, and it's funny because like, I don't know that I would have said yes to any of the housewives other than Erica or maybe a few others, because I couldn't imagine being stuck, like working with Ramona Singer. <laughs> oh I my mean, God. Yeah. My God. So, um, yeah. And so she set that up and, or so she approached me and we, uh, you know, I had a call with her on my birthday um, to like discuss the project and, you know, we hit it off and, and kind of took it from there. And I think that, you know, like you said, with Aviva Drescher, and I get this a lot with, you know, like talking to people, they're like, oh, well, you really wrote the book, right? Like you really did it. And I think that the people who have books ghostwritten for them kind of get a bad rap because, you know, I always liken it to Gordon Ramsay you know, is it in the kitchen cooking all the dishes, you know? So she's like Gordon Ramsay and I'm the one who's like actually doing the cooking, but she's kind of telling me what to do. So, you know, and, and I've ghostwritten a few other books since then. And, you know, they are very involved in the process and they do have a lot to say about the final product and how it gets made and things like that. And so I'm there more for guidance and to lend my expertise and stuff like that. 
Well, hopefully you're going to be tapped in for book number two, because I'm sure there'll be another book to write. <laughs> I mean, let's see. Yeah. Let's see. But there's um, this rule in publishing that, um, and it's a rule that with, um, you know, autobiographies and things like that, memoirs, the second one sells half as many as the first one. And so... Um, you know, even though it was a really big bestseller, I don't know that a uh, second one would do as well. But we'll see, considering events in her life these days, it might be uh, interesting. I mean, she was rags to riches was kind of like her first thing. And now she can do riches to rags as her her possible <laughs> second book. And maybe another than rags to riches. I at the end of the day, I, I've always loved Erica. So it's like really hard watching this happen. And I'm sure for you, it's just like when you watch the show, you can't explain it. I'm the same way with Kyle Richards. I just, I love her. I admire her. I know there's people who don't, but there's just like certain housewives you love. And it's so hard when then negative things happen. I mean, like with all this Erica stuff, has it changed the way you think about her? Or I mean, is your experience still a positive one? My experience is still a positive one. I don't think it's really changed the way I think about her because I know her, you know, pretty well. Just, you know, talking about her and her life for, you know, a long time and working with her for a while. And, you know, I haven't talked to her a lot recently. I texted her when, you know, this all started to go down. I just think that there's still a lot more that we need to find out, I think. Um, Yeah. Just about how it all went down, how much she knew, how much she was involved. And, you know, I'm really curious how this season plays out and how much she's going to talk about it on the season, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I'm kind of, the, uh, the jury's out, but I think the Erica I know, um, it, you know, hasn't really changed. Yeah. Well, according to Rita, she's going to talk about it, honey. That's what she comments on all of her posts. So, I hope she does. I think this could be a really interesting season um, of Beverly Hills. But so kind of like thinking back, I mean, you've worked with Erica, you've worked with so many housewives with writing the recaps and just getting to meet them in the world you're in. Who was the first housewife that you met? The first housewife I met in real life uh, was Jill Zarin. And it was when I was working at Gawker.com, RAP, and uh, her publicist like manager at the time approached me and it was before season four so it was the season like after bethany left like the cindy barshop season and um um, so it was jill's last season and um was like hey do you want to do an interview with jill like we'd love to do something with you guys we know you guys are you know obsessed with show whatever I was like, I don't know that we want to do an interview with Jill, but we'd love to have Jill as our intern for the day and like film it and like do like a whole thing. And they were like, oh my God, that's such a great idea. We love that. So Jill came and was our intern for the day and we made her go get lunch for everybody. So she went to a taco truck and um, she came and we made her do like stupid things around the office and it was really fun. She showed up with like swag bags for everybody, like they're in fabrics bags with mugs. Oh, God, love her. Yeah. And then she had a deal with Kodak at the time. And so she had these mugs with her picture, like on the side of them. <laughs> do you still have it? Very oh, my joke. God. Of course I do. It has like a 
place of pride in my cabinet and uh, oh I look at her because so she brought like a ton to the gawker office and so we had like 20 of them and so people would use them all the time so you'd look around the office there'd be all these people with chill sarin mugs <laughs> when you put them in the dishwasher the picture started to fade so after a while like jill sarin started to fade out of the picture quite literally oh my Aww. gosh that's funny did she bring ginger with her rest in peace she did ginger. not bring ginger with her <laughs> it, was, it was just her and her um assistant and but we did send her to the taco truck to buy everybody lunch and she paid for lunch for everybody which was very sweet of her but we sent like real actual gawker interns with her to like help her carry and stuff and she while they were preparing her, our order she was like oh just wait here i'll be back in a minute and she went shopping at some like store in soho which where the office was and then, like, came back and, and picked up her our taco order. So there was, like, a whole video about it. But when Gawker kind of went down and got sold and whatever, the video is no longer with us. So. Uh, I feel like I somebody needs to dig that out. That is gold. Can I tell you my favorite Real Housewives spotting ever, though? Uh, yes. Okay. So I was in New York City at this place called Omar's. And it's, like a private club kind of like a Soho house kind of thing where you have to be a member to like eat dinner there or whatever. And so I was with a friend who was a member there and uh, it's one of those New York city, you know, it's in like a townhouse, but one of those townhouses where you walk down a few steps to go into the like main entrance, which is a little bit below ground level. And so we're standing out in front of the door at the bottom of these steps. I was with my friend, he was smoking a cigarette and it's kind of raining and we're waiting and this car pulls up and the door opens and this woman gets out and it's Luann Dillaseps. And I was like, Oh my God. And so she's walking towards us. And my friend goes, is that, is that, and she, her head kind of like perks up, like waiting to be noticed. And then he goes, is that Lady Bird Johnson? <laughs> face just like collapsed and it was uh, amazing and so he decided he was really drunk at the time and so she was like seated near us and he was carrying on the whole time going is that lady bird johnson like from the table and like every time luann got more and more annoyed that's incredible oh my <laughs> god oh if anyone ever needed a slice of humble pie it's yeah luann. oh my gosh yeah that's incredible and so she was dealt with it so um, yeah, but then through like Gawker, I met like a bunch of uh, the housewives, and then um, so so we had a pride party in June that year after the fourth season, and um, I invited some of the housewives to come to it. Uh, it was on the Gawker roof, and it happened to be the day they were recording that reunion, and so. A uh, bunch of them showed up at the party. It was like Alex and Simon, Ramona, uh, Luann, Jill. And, and so that was a very fun party. That sounds incredible. I feel like I would love to talk to you about Gawker in general because I – followed Gawker and everything and given how like celebrity gossip and entertainment, I should say it kind of has evolved, especially with like the Dumois of the world. I would be, I'm kind of curious on your take on that. 
Yeah, it's funny because, like, Dumois is basically what Gawker was doing, you know, way back when, before social media made it easy, where it was like, Gawker Stalker, like, who'd you see on the street? You know, just kind of like, tell us what you have and we'll print it, you know? And and so I think it was like the start of a democratization of celebrity media or celebrity gossip, you know, kind of in that way. But also, you know, I remember during the Trump era, you know, uh, somebody was talking about like, you know, how Gawker would print these things that nobody else would print and do these things that were, you know, down and dirtier than traditional media would go. And then, you know, thanks to Stormy Daniels and things like that, like the Washington Post was covering the size and shape of Donald Trump's penis, which, (laughs) you know, would have been a typical Gawker story back in the day. But now it's like Gawker kind of became the mainstream thanks to this, you know, sort of, uh, grossening of of the discourse so yeah i think it would be really interesting to see where gawker would have fit in all this but i remember there was a whole thing on social media where uh sex workers were saying they were going to uh out lindsey graham because they had all worked for lindsey graham and you know they supposedly were talking to several media outlets but nothing really came of it and i was like girl gawker would have ran that story that day i mean you would have been like Hookers say Lindsey Graham is gay, send. <laughs> yeah, you would be all over the army hammer um, kitten stuff. <laughs> oh my God, yeah, like all of that. And so, yeah, but it's really interesting now, like you look at people or Us Weekly and it's like Kylie unfollowed Jordan Woods on Instagram, you know, and it's just like, about what they're doing on social media, which I don't find to be, you know, especially interesting. Like, oh, she liked her post or she didn't comment on this. And it's like, really, that's a story. <laughs> I know I miss I miss the days when like Us Weekly and People magazine ran the stuff that we couldn't find on someone's social media. Like I don't yes. okay, cool. Harry Styles, you know, is with Olivia. I know that because it was on Instagram. Like everything else now like is behind the times because of social media. I want to get back to like people breaking real stories around entertainment, mostly for me, but like there used to be times where like there was a groundbreaking stuff that was happening with entertainment journalism. And now like, you're right. It's all about social media. And so I don't know. I'm hoping though, like your book, I think is going to be groundbreaking for sure. As you kind of talk about the inside world of housewives. So tell us a little bit about the process for writing your book, I mean, you've lived in this world for a while. So what motivated you to do it now? Um, I read a book um, called Bachelor Nation, which is about The Bachelor. And um, and it really goes into the behind the scenes, but also like why we're obsessed with it and, you know, what it says about the culture that, you know, we love these dating shows, et cetera, et cetera. And I had never... I've never watched The Bachelor. And so I read it as a student of the reality television arts and sciences and was like really into it. And like, this is such a good book. Why has no one done this for housewives? You know, whatever. And um, the book was a bestseller and sold so well that the woman who wrote it, Amy Kaufman, uh, who works for the LA Times, her manager 
or her book agent was looking for somebody to do one about the housewives. And we had a mutual friend who connected us and she was like, I want to do bachelor nation for the housewives. And I said, I want to do bachelor nation for the housewives. So um, yeah. So we started and wrote a book proposal and sold it. And, you know, there are housewives fans in the highest echelons of the media world. So, you know, publishers were really into it. Cause I think a lot of times people, underestimate both the number and ardor of the real housewives fandom and and so you know i think it was good that we were working in a space where there are a lot of housewives fans who understand just how much this means to people and so kind of the idea for the book was i just wanted to answer all the questions that real housewives fans have about the show you know like how do the women get cast who uh, you know, how are they to work with? How does an episode get made? Who pays for the trips? You know, uh, what are their salaries? How much does Andy Cohen have to do with it? You know, all that stuff. And that's kind of, so I just went about trying to find people who had talked to me, housewives, producers, editors, you know, all sorts of people to answer all those questions. And so, yeah, so the book ended up being, it's, you know, my log line is, is about the history behind the scenes and cultural impact of the Real Housewives franchise. So talk about all that stuff about behind the scenes, how it gets made, things like that. But then I also talk to, you know, people who do podcasts, people who run meme accounts, people who are super fans, people who run Real Housewives Etsy stores, you know, and, and like how they got into it, what this, the impact this had on their lives. I talked to a bunch of scholars, you know, academics that study the housewives in a, you know, really academic way, have written their dissertations about housewives, things like that. So really just to get like an all-around view of what this thing is, how it came to be, and what it means to our lives. I think people who aren't in the world don't maybe, like you say, like understand the breadth and depth of housewives fans. My husband the other day was asking me, he's like, what housewife said, who going to check you, boo? And I kind of paused. And I'm like, why are you asking me this? Because he doesn't watch housewives. And he said an ESPN like sports analyst said that phrase and credited the Real Housewives of Atlanta. And so, I mean, I think when people think about the demographic, they think about like stay at home moms and gay men. And it's so much more than that. There are, you know, ESPN men watching it. You hear comedians who are like raunchy talking about housewives. Like it, there is such yeah. a far reach beyond what people I think assume. And I, I always love when really A-list celebrities talk about their favorite housewives like whenever jennifer lawrence starts talking oh, about yeah. reality tv i love it because it's such a like an equalizer but it's so cool to think this oscar-winning actress is just as obsessed with the drama that's happening on tv as the rest of us yeah or like rihanna and karen huger's comments and it's like <laughs> oh okay rihanna and think- everything oh my gosh i love all her comments <laughs> But also, like you were saying, I mean, the demographic still is mostly women of a certain age and gay men. And I talk about this in the book that, you know, that is the target for reality TV in general and specifically these kind of docu-social like The Housewives. And that is a big reason why it's not taken as seriously as something like sports. And, it's and, and you know, I, I hopefully in the book kind of want to reclaim this thing that like what we love is just as important and just as valid as what you love. And like, don't look down on real housewives just because, you know, it's watched by women and gay men, or you think it's silly or the culture has taught you to think that it's stupid. Like 
fuck you. Who are you to say it's stupid? Like football is literally giving people concussions and killing them. And no, we (laughs) can't. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. But you could be like, oh, the real housewives and society is going to end because of reality TV. It's like, fuck you, dude. Like, come on, (laughs) get real. I love it. No, I'm with you 110%. I, there's always a lot of people that says there should be a fantasy a football version for Housewives, and I definitely think there's truth to that. I'm curious, and this is a teaser, and I already have it pulled up on my phone to pre-order your book because I cannot wait to get my hands on it. But what franchise has the most tea in your book? Um, I don't know if you can say that or not. That's a good – I mean, it's spread pretty – um it's spread around pretty evenly i think that the newer one you know the older ones obviously we get i get into more of like the founding and there's more like stuff to talk about um but a lot of it is more kind of like meta where it's talking about like okay here's how they make an episode it's like here's how you know and there are different production companies that make different shows but basically here's how it works you know, and so that kind of hits on like everything. But within that, it's like, oh, Cynthia Bailey is really easy to work with. And Carol Radswell was a nightmare to work with, <laughs> you know, like kind of things like that. So it's spread pretty evenly. But I will say that the older ones get more attention. And also just because of me and who I am and who I know, I know more people in like L.A., New York. And so kind of like New York, Beverly Hills, Orange County you know, I, I had more inroads in people that would work on those franchises. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot more of that. But, you know, th- I did talk to people that work on Atlanta. I talked to people that worked on New Jersey. So, you know, there's a pretty good mix. Um, and I will say that I probably talked to about a dozen housewives, both on and off the record, um, you know, and there's like six or seven who were on the record who are named in the book. And then, but I found it more revealing to talk to the people who work on the show, like on the ground, like the field producers, the editors, the story editors, the camera operators, the sound guys, like, because they are a little bit more analytical about how the show gets made and what it is and what it means to them. Whereas most housewives just have, their take and what happened to them and their experience and are kind of anchored in that in a way that they can't see outside of that. If that makes sense. It does. And I, you know, it's funny that you say this because at BravoCon, they did a panel with the producers and revealing yes. stuff about the shows. And I found that the most interesting. So I love that you're saying that about the book, that we get to get more inside view from the producers themselves, because if 2020 was anything, it was one the year of breaking the fourth wall. Oh my God. And yes. Everyone in our, our little Bravo bubble, like we geek out over it. Like we love it. So we'd love to know more of that stuff. So I'm, I'm loving what you're saying and I cannot wait <laughs> to read this book. Yeah, I quote a lot from those. I went to both of those panels and I quote a lot from things they said. And there's a, like a whole scene in one of the um, books about, you know, one of the fan questions that was really probing. And yeah, because Bravo is so weird about they want like and there is a whole chapter in the book about Bravo and how it works as a network and its history and things like that. And, you know, they really want to control the message and they want to control what's out there. And so 
you know, they'll let those producers go up there and say what they can say, but, you know, they don't want you to know more than Bravo wants you to know. And I always found that a little insulting. Like, we know how this shit gets made. Like, you're breaking the fourth wall. We know it's produced. You know, we, we're we not going to love the show any less. We just want you to level with us on how this is actually getting made and, like, how much interference there is. And I I wish that they would be a bit more honest with that rather than just showing us a producer when Monique and Candace get in a fight, but not showing us a producer who like, you know, called Brandy Glanville to be like, go to Kyle's house and tell him about Denise Richards. Yeah, no, absolutely. A thousand percent. I I mean, and we're, especially with social media and all the meme accounts and the fandom, I mean, nothing can get past any Bravo fan. I mean, you can go down Reddit threads and find things, but especially when scenes are reshot and, you know, we pick up on all of that. So I just wish they would kind of own up to it. And God, if anything, you know, we see a lot more with these housewives that are uh, the franchise versions that are the pandemic um, season. Yeah. You see a lot of that too. I'm like, I wish you guys would just say like, okay, we've tested everyone. This is what we're doing every day because on Atlanta, we're wearing face shields and then we're not. And then all this, but anyhow. That's, right. That's yeah. And they're talking. Well, and then I was thinking I was watching Cynthia's engagement party and I was like, this is kind of a weak sauce engagement party. And why aren't any of the other people's men there and whatever? And I was like, oh, it's probably because of like testing. And like, oh, we had to test all these people. And so we, you know, couldn't afford or didn't have time to test, you know, so-and-so. And yeah, and I think that, you know, we are entering, you know, especially with Black Lives Matter and the pandemic and stuff, we're entering this place where we're questioning our role in participating in these forms of media. And like, is it okay to watch something made during a pandemic? And you know, I'm okay with the, them producing it, but I do want to know a little bit, like, you know, even at the beginning of a season, like a 10 minute kind of thing, like, here's what we had to go through with production so that to keep everybody safe. Like, I want to know that they're following the rules. You know what I mean? That, yeah. That's why I appreciated Stephanie, like her first confessional. And then they probably chose it to be her first confessional. But for Dallas, I love how she said, like, don't come at me. We're, we're probably like, sometimes we're going to wear masks and sometimes we're not. We're getting tested all the time. Like, this is a pretty controlled environment. And I, I really appreciate that. But like you, I thought maybe, particularly with OC, when the pandemic hit as they were filming, I thought we'd see a little bit more about them saying, okay, like you need to set up iPhones in your house and you, you're going to be kind of filming the show on your own. Like, we know they did that. Why aren't we seeing that? direction or like watching some of their FaceTimes with the producer to figure out how they can keep this going. I would love that. But I know Andy has said numerous times that he's very cautious about breaking down the fourth wall. And pretty much what we've seen this year is the most he's willing to reveal. Yeah, we shall see. But also teaser for the book, Andy Cohen doesn't have as as much impact as she might think she has. Oh, I I'm nervous to read that because I so I'm we're I'm from St. Louis. Vanessa lived here for a little bit, so it's like Andy is kind of like this local celeb that we're so proud of. And I keep hearing more and more stories. It's like I don't think Andy Cohen's the per, little like sweet Midwestern guy that I kind of have believed that he is. I think that is true, but you know I don't. <laughs> I, I'm not dishing any Andy Cohen personal dirt in the book. Yeah, but I will say that he has a lot less to do with 
the ins and outs and day-to-days of the Real Housewives than fans think he does. I've kind of gathered that, especially as you could tell, I mean, without going into the Potomac reunion, you can kind of tell um, there was a below deck reunion. I didn't watch that season, but he got a lot of heat on and you can kind of tell right. where he's not as engaged. Or- well, and he has nothing to do with any of the non housewife shows on Bravo, like even Vanderpump rules. Like, so it's only housewives and he's more of a figurehead at this point. And it's like, He's in on the discussions and and things like that. But I mean, the calls are being made more by the production companies and the people who are currently working for Bravo than they are by Andy. But I think that fans are always like, oh, well, Andy told her she had to do this or Andy wants it like this or Andy doesn't like this. And it's like, okay, if you mean Andy by everybody who works on the Housewives as opposed to (laughs) one actual person. Like if you mean Andy as a metonymy for this giant machine that makes these shows, okay, sure. But actual Andy is like busy making a fucking talk show five days a week. You know, like he's not messing with the Housewives. No, I love that. I love that. Real talk. Real talk. Okay, Okay, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, so, I mean, we've talked about this book. We're dying to read it. I'm sure everyone listening is. When is it available? You can pre-order now. Tell some, Give us all the details so everyone out here can go and pre-order it. Um, yeah, you can pre-order it now. It's on Amazon. It's called The Housewives, colon, The Real Story of the Real Housewives. Um, it comes out May 25th. Um, and if you go uh, to Flatiron Books, who's publishing it, uh, you know, there are various links. So if you don't want to buy it from Amazon, there's like links for more independent booksellers. So you can buy it from uh, other places if you want to support local businesses, et cetera. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, I'm recording the audiobook in uh, April. So that'll be ready in May. And, you know, it's going to be everywhere. So yeah, get ready. I'm very excited. All right. Before we let you go, though, we know you're, I mean, you are a student of reality TV, which means you're watching all these shows. So we wanted to ask you a few quick questions about some of the shows that are, are currently on. Oh, I am. Girl, I have all day to talk about Housewives. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I kind of want to know your thoughts on my big questions, your thoughts on the two newcomers, uh, one being Elizabeth Vargas and the other being Dr. Tiffany Moon. What are your hot takes? Okay, I have yet to watch Dallas, and I may give up on Dallas. I'm making, like, a uh, grimace it, face. I, I don't know. I can't give you a, honest advice as whether or not you should do that or not. I will say, I think it's, Tiffany could be good, but I think, I think it's going to be a tough season to watch. What are your thoughts on Elizabeth with OC? Um, my thoughts on Elizabeth are, uh, I... Love that we have a cult survivor. And I find that fascinating. And I'm curious, I wrote this in my recap. I'm curious if the producers, like if she, you know, cause she says like, oh, I never talked about this before. If the producers knew about the cult stuff, like when they cast her or if like she's talking about this cult and they're sitting there going like, holy shit, she was in a cult. Like, this is going to be amazing. <laughs> Thank God for you, Elizabeth Vargas. But I just, I don't know. I don't. I'm not won over by her. I don't find her to be that great of an addition. 
Um, but this season of OC is so weird because of all the pandemic stuff. They're not like together a lot. And so we don't really see her forming bonds with the women on an individual level or with the, or how she acts in a group setting. Like she seemed like such an outsider. And I think that especially on OC, there's no like center, uh, you know, it's like all these women haven't been a, you know, I don't need the women all to be friends, but on a show like Atlanta or New York or Potomac, even if they weren't friends to start with on Potomac, they, most of those women have been together for like five years. Now they have like real history, real interactions. The women on OC don't have that. And so it's a really weird amorphous season for me. And it's hard to find a place for uh, Elizabeth to fit into that. You sum up our feelings completely because we've been hate watching it. It's just, it's pretty awful. Yeah. And I mean, I, I would give Elizabeth a non pandemic season to see how she does. Like, I think she might have some fight in her, but um, yeah, I, I'm not that much more curious about her life and I don't find her to be, a flavor that we have yet to taste as it were. Um, But speaking of newcomers, I would like to talk for a minute about Drew on Atlanta. Oh God. We have some hot takes on that. But more specifically about that husband. Well, I feel like, sorry to all the Ralphs out there, but I feel like that's a red flag alone. Who names their kid Ralph? And then he, oh my gosh, I feel like he is going to be in the top five worst housewife husbands like based on the way he treats his wife and like just oh, he's already my top one like he's already surpassed like shane simpson and michael darby and like all the rest of them he is fucking awful he's horrible and hot. he is awful and hot <laughs> he's horrible i will say i enjoyed this week's episode of atlanta because he, they weren't in it like yeah. i feel like i could get like like drew but Ralph is going to be one of those housewife husbands where he almost like a how PK did. I like PK now, which is I think a lot of people like PK. Don't now. you dare! I'm hanging. I'm hanging up right now. <laughs> no, 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 but I like him now. But anyways, but you know how they insert themselves in the drama, in the conversation, and kind of get in. And plus, he's just a shitty person in general. But he hasn't really been around everyone. It's just I don't know. I don't right. know. If he's driving to Tampa again? I don't know. Right. Well, and that's what's weird about Atlanta is it's like all of the Atlanta women and then Drew talking to her husband. And it's like, okay, if Drew's not talking to the rest of these women, I don't give a shit about her. <laughs> you know, like right. it's not the but, Drew and Ralph show plus Real Housewives of Atlanta. That's my biggest issue is like if they have, if she was an OG and we're just now watching him like go to Tampa and do all this crazy shit, I'd be like, okay, I can be along for this ride because I've, I've watched their marriage. But episode one or her first episode, this is what we're learning about him. All I'm thinking is, why the hell did you cast this? Like, I need to know the progression up to this point. This can't be our starting, like their starting spot with them. And I agree. Like, I don't understand. It's kind of like what you said with OC. There's got to be like a nucleus. There's got to be one person that like bridges everyone together. And they kind of made it seem like Drew's friends with some of the women. But I get the impression that was forced. And she really just doesn't fit in at all. Yes. I uh, totally agree with all of that. Why? Okay, so I know you're doing Southern Charm. 
Yes. And I need to know, do you think Southern Charm should have another season? And do you like – because I and if they do, if you do think they should have another season, who do you think should come back? Well, uh, I mean, I do think that Southern Charm should have another season. But I think that this, like, goes to a question – about a bigger Bravo reckoning, especially in terms of, you know, like Black Lives Matter and and awareness of racial issues, et cetera, et cetera. And like, I agree, it's, it's hard because I agree with the voices that say we need to diversify the cast of these shows. Like, obviously, especially a place like New York City where, you know, there are so many people of color and, you know, whatever going on, but also to make these shows really work, you need people who are actually in the orbits of these women. And I'm sorry, but Ramona Singer does not have black friends. Like, <laughs> and most of the real housewives of New York probably don't with the exception of Leah, um, who is also a white woman who claims to invented streetwear, which is a little bit problematic, but you know, whatever. <laughs> That's and, the least of the Bravo problem, sadly, <laughs> when you look right, at all yeah, the exactly. problematic people. Yeah. And so, you know, so getting to Southern Charm and your point is that, like, yes, I think it deserves another season because I think people like Craig and Shep and Austin and, I mean, Madison, I think is a great addition, um, are great reality television characters. Like, they're good at what they do and, and they're going to deliver. However, I don't but you can't just like add a bunch of people of color. Like, you know, you can cast Vanita, but then Vanita doesn't know any of these people and you end up with, you know, uh, Drew or an Elizabeth Vargas situation, you know, where yeah. they're just like kind of on the outside or you even see it this season where it's like Leva and the other Madison and Vanita. And they're just like sitting across the table from all these other people who we've been following for years and they don't really know each other and they don't have an interest in each other's shit. And so it's just like weird. So I think it's a question of like, okay, you can have a Southern charm concept where it's people in South Carolina, but then you have to like recast around a diverse group of friends or you can keep the cast that you have. Um, I do think Catherine should have been fired <laughs> for what she did. Yeah. Um, so there's that. But yeah, so I think it's a really hard question for um, for Bravo to answer. And I also think it goes over to Vanderpump Rules where, I mean, what are you going to do with Vanderpump Rules? Oh, God. We keep saying it over and over again. I'm fine if Pump just dies. I'm okay. If there's a Tom Tom spinoff, like if you're going to spin off in that way and then, you know, where Tom and Tom are take more of a role of like the what LVP was doing on Vanderpump Rules, I could get behind that. And like you have a new set of people and all that and they're just fun to watch in general. But uh -huh. I don't really need Vanderpump Rules anymore. <laughs> it's, I feel like these, I mean, they're so self-aware. They, they do their job but they're so self-aware of the um, celebrity that they've kind of developed around themselves that it doesn't yeah. feel authentic or genuine anymore. Feels very like I'm showing up to a job. Here's my call yeah. time. And here's a, I'm going to stir shit with someone. It doesn't feel organic. 
Well, and coming from two people who have had newborns and been pregnant, I just like everyone's like, oh, I want a spinoff of all like, you know, the ban- Vanderbump and all this stuff. And I mean, yeah, I'll be like, I would watch maybe a couple, like a little mini series on it, but like, I don't need a whole series about Jack's refusing to change a diaper or like, it's just like all that stuff has been done in sitcoms and other reality shows, mainly on like TLC and kind of like out there networks that I don't think it fits for Bravo. And honestly, I don't think that many people really want to watch it that much. So I don't, Uh, I think it's done. And I'm sorry, uh, you know, no dissing to mothers, but I hate when housewives have babies because it's boring. Oh, and we love it. I like, love it. <laughs> well, I like it in that I like following their lives and, you know, whatever. But when it's like, oh, Portia has to bring her nanny and she can only come yeah. for three days because of the baby and well, whatever. That's it's like, boring. That no, boring. bitch, I want you there. I want you delivering. I want you, you know, I don't want you paying attention to your baby. I want you paying attention to making this damn show. <laughs> no, no, no. That's totally fair. No one wants that. But I do love like when Ashley Darby talks about her postpartum and like issues like that that are re- relevant in mothering. But no, that's that's totally, totally fair. Oh my God. I think I Teddy think- ruined pregnancy for most housewives people. She was just so boring in general. And then a sober Teddy, it's like, oh, dear God. Like, that yeah. was painful. I, I do. You know, I had, I wrote something after the last season of Vanderpump Rules on Vulture about like, what, how can you fix it? What can you do with it? And one of my suggestions was kind of like taking most of the women from Vanderpump Rules and making like a housewives junior, like a, you know, we're new moms, but we're trying to do a business and here's what's going on in our lives and refocus it kind of in that way. So it's not about them being mothers, but it's about them, you know, kind of entering a new phase of their life where they're leaving their hard partying 20s behind and trying to make something new with themselves. I think that could be interesting. Um, I think that Stasi not had the, all of the stuff that happened, I feel like they were like training her to be the one to lead that housewives junior. And now they're kind of like, well, shit, what do we do now? Yes. No, absolutely. And um, yeah. Well, then Lisa Vanderpump was just on some podcast saying she doesn't think that what Stassi did was racist. She just thinks it's stupid. And she's like, you know, and they've worked with people of color for all these years and blah, blah, blah. But then where are all those people of color working (laughs) on your damn show? I know. They're not on there. So I'm just like, yeah. honey, it's not, you're not in the position to tell people what's racist and what's not. So, um, yeah, yeah I don't know. Gosh, yeah. I don't know, but I think we're all on the same page, but I'm curious to see what happens with Vanderpump rules. I think most people would be happy if it just kind of ended and we can just rewatch the glory days of Vanderpump on. But there's so many like good people that, whose lives I want to continue to be invested in that I would like Bravo to find a way to repurpose them. Somewhere. Who are your favorites from pump? Like when you think about those people you want to be invested in. Oh, Tom and Tom for sure. Like yeah. I would watch that. So I live in the UK and there's a show that's been imported to the U S called love Island. Are you aware of it? I'm aware of it, but I have not watched it. Um, it's amazing. And it will take over your life, but there, there were two guys. It's like basically like a dating show. It's basically like Bachelor in Paradise kind of. And But there were two guys on the show and they like fell in love with each other. Their names are Chris and Kem. And they have like what Tom and Tom have where they like love each other and are like cuddling and 
you know what I mean? Like you think they're going to make out at any minute, but they just like love each other so much and they have this bromance going on. And so they did this show with the two of them called you versus Chris and Kem, and they would travel around England and they would do stupid challenges. Like one was they had to ride a roller coaster and see who could keep the most liquid in a cup. You know what I mean? And, and, but then they just do it and they're hilarious together and they're so funny and their love is so real. And it would make me laugh out loud every episode. And I was like, I want to see them do this with like Tom and Tom, you know, like, give them something else to do where we can still see these characters and these people who we're interested in, but like give them new life somehow. Um, but th- those two I love, I love um, Ariana. And I, you know, I do think what Sassy did was wrong and stupid, but I find her journey to be really interesting. So as much as it pains me to say that I'm curious where she goes from here. One final question I have to know, what do you think of the baby name, particularly Charlie Rose, since we all think of a different Charlie Rose when we hear that name? Who named their baby Charlie Rose? So she named it Hartford Charlie Rose. Stassi did. She named her baby Hartford Charlie Rose after Bo's grandfather and then her grandmother, which I think everyone thought Rose would be in there. Right. But like, when I hear Charlie Rose, I think of the accused, like, sexual predator. The journalist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, wait, and the baby's name is Hartford? Yes. The weirdest. Like, I, I just expected more from her. I'm going to say for somebody as chic and glam, and as much as I hate to admit it, she was a trendsetter back in the day. Like, I try to mimic her haircut, a lot of her looks. Like, I, I really liked her back in the day. I was just, like, underwhelmed by the name. I am from the great state of Connecticut. So Hartford has like a whole different like, <laughs> set of meetings. Like, girl, I got my car stolen in Hartford. You know? <laughs> like, I don't know about all, like, I'm kind of into it, but also, yeah, like to put Charlie and Rose next to each other seems like, Sassy, this is the point all along. Like you don't get, you know, like you're not thinking yeah. outside of yourself to see yeah what the problem is here. Yeah. Can I have said it better myself? Brian. Oh my God. I cannot wait to hear what Brittany and Jackson named their baby. I mean, I bet it's going to be named Mima's Beer Cheese Taylor. Well, it's a boy. And I feel like it's going to be something that ends in a D-E-N or like a T-O-N. Like he's going to be a Hayden, a Jaden, a Paxton. Like it's going to be one of those. Yeah. Oh man, it's gonna be horrible. I hope it's spelled fucked up. Like, oh yeah, they, like they're creating a reality television star. I well, mean, Luna has it. an Instagram handle, and she tags it in her stories. It's like little baby couchy or something like that. Because somebody stole baby couchy. I just want to put that out there. Whoever that person is, you are my hero. After they got married, somebody knew that they would probably have an Instagram handle for their baby. And they stole baby couchy and said, like, apparently the rumor is like the person said they'll never post on it. They just didn't want them to have it because they wanted to piss them off. And I, I love that level of shade. I also have heard rumors that they're looking for houses in Kentucky. Interesting. Interesting. I could, um see that happening because girl you know they spent all that Vanderpump Rules money and it's expensive to live in Valley Village I would agree especially with all them uh, yeah no they don't have (laughs) that papers running out 
And plus, with all the health issues her mom had, I'm sure she wants to be closer to home. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Well, and you have babies. Like, you know, it's nice to be around your family and, you know, have that help, et cetera, et cetera. That's what they'll say. But we all know it's because they're poor. <laughs> I'll just I say mean- Girl, I know Jack spent all that money on that stupid ring. I was like, bitch, you better invest that money. (laughs) (laughs) And why did you buy a million dollar home just because everyone else was? And he had to get the extra bedroom to one up Tom. I'm like, Tom owns a freaking bar and wrote a book. Like you've got nothing besides this show. Yeah. I don't know. He's an idiot. And I like, he's part of the reason why I'm okay with pump being done. I just can't. It's not a matter of if, but when he cheats on Brittany, it's just like, I feel like I'm watching this horrible person evolve and I just keep watching. Well, this that's the thing and and you know i think there's a continuum with our reality television stars where we want them to kind of be the same like you want nini to be nini you want Jax to be Jax, but also if they're just the same person over and over and over again it's not interesting anymore so you want Jax to be Jax, but like we know he's going to cheat on britney we know exactly what he's going to say so you need them to evolve like a little bit like you need them to want to work on it where someone like Nini or Jax doesn't want to work on it and they don't want to change. And that's when you're like, okay, I'm sick of you. I'm bored of you. Whereas someone like Stassi is still Stassi, but you see her trying to work towards something. And that's what keeps me interested. Like, you know, a Ramona singer is always going to be a Ramona singer, but you've seen her like change and evolve slightly over the course of the years. And so I think you get those people like Jax who are so stuck in themselves that they become tedious. I think that like summarizes it perfectly because sometimes I can't understand why I still like certain housewives or certain Bravo labs, even though I know they're not good people and you hit it perfectly. It's like those who try at least try to be better or they have seasons. Like I will forever love Sonia. I don't think Sonia can do any wrong. And yes, I know there's times where she's like a raging alcoholic and I'm probably an enabler by watching her, but then there's seasons where she cuts back a little bit. So I'm like, okay, she's recognizing it. And then she gives us, you know, drunk Sonia the next season. I don't know. I like, I agree. I love the, I guess the roller coaster for some of these people and watching them change and slip up and the whole process. It's, I think that's why we all watch. No, absolutely. And girl, I like cried when Riley went to college. Like they were showing her a little grid. I was like, oh my God, I remember her. And my little girl's going to college. Was, it was so sweet. And Ace, that whole like moment was like, ugh, pulled the heartstrings. Oh my I'm God. still not over it. Like the, he probably hasn't gotten to go visit her. I hope she got to come home for Thanksgiving. It's like, oh, it's so sad. I know. I am like really invested in Gia Giudice becoming a successful person. <laughs> Who isn't cheering for her? Like, I think she, like, we all want her to be just like amazing. Yes. I, and I, I'm okay with the plastic surgery just because I like, she's gone through a lot. People back off in the comments, let her live her life. Like she's gone through a lot. Girl, and no matter what she does, she won't look as bad as those Beerman girls. Oh, no, 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 no. I I don't know. I mean, that's like a whole nother episode on why Tardy for the Tardy Don't Be Tardy has eight seasons or however many seasons it has. I have never once watched an episode of Don't Be Tardy. I hate to admit I, that I have in the beginning. I haven't either. I just but I've never understood the appeal of Kim outside of when she's on Atlanta. Um, I, yes, I appreciate that. I also find Croy to be incredibly hot and I don't watch that show, which is a testament to how much I dislike Kim. Wow. <laughs> My fellow Connecticutian, Kim Zolciak-Bierman. 
I is that what people that. from Connecticut say? They're Connecticutians. It sounds like something painful. Yeah, Connecticutian, like Lilliputian, but from Connecticut. I'm, I'm okay. I learned something new. I love it so much. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. Can you, if people aren't reading your recaps on Vulture or if they're not following you on social media, how can they find you? Um, I am on all social media platforms at Brian J. Moylan. And yeah, I'm doing uh, Orange County uh, and uh, Southern Charm and Summer House coming up in February um, for Vulture. So check those out. And um, you can find me on Grinder at my handles Mustache Rides. So just, you know, <laughs> search Mustache Rides, send nudes. Oh, my God. I am the most- I'm available. <laughs> Thank oh you God, for making you. my day. Thank you so much for making my day. Thank you um, so much for having me. Hi, I'm Allie Raisman. I've been living with migraine for a while. As an athlete and gymnast, I was taught to just power through the pain. Now I use Ubrelvi or Ubrojapan to treat my migraine attacks. As soon as I feel a migraine attack, I take Ubrelvi, which provides me with quick relief. Once I get relief, I go on with my day. I'm partnering with Ubrelvi to share my migraine story. Ubrelvi quickly stops migraine in its tracks within two hours without worrying where you are. Most people had quick pain relief within two hours. Ubrelvi treats migraine attacks in adults and is not for prevention. It's available by prescription only. Do not take Ubrelvi with strong CYP3A4 inhibitors. Tell your healthcare provider about all the medicines you take. Most common side effects are nausea and tiredness. My hope is that by sharing my migraine story and the relief I get from Ubrelvi, it can help someone else. Ask your doctor about Ubrelvi, the anytime, anywhere migraine medicine. Learn more at ubrelvy.com or call 844-4-U-B-R-E-L-V-Y. Sponsored by AbbVie.